two familiar readings. And the first one is taken from Genesis chapter 6 and 20, uh, 27 and is broken up in various passages. Beginning um, with Genesis 27 verse 19 and then going on to Job 20, Genesis 27 verse 30 and then Genesis 27 41. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came in, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. Esau had held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, first verses 1 and 2, and then continuing at verse, from verse 11. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was also in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who, was, who has squandered your property and pro- with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it speaks to us. We thank you that your spirit makes your word come alive. And would it lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, last week... Last week we started looking at the parable of uh, the prodigal son, the parable of the lost sons, which is quite possibly the very, very best bit of the Bible. It's just, it's so good. I love it. It's really good. And we we looked at the role of the uh, father. Uh, We looked at the surprising and sort of unconditional love that he shows for his younger son. And we sort of finished the story halfway through with the celebration that is put on when the younger son comes home. Uh, The younger son is home, everyone is happy, and Jesus says this is an image of the kind of celebration that happens in heaven whenever someone repents uh, and comes back to God. But that isn't where the story ends. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, 
all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The elder son is angry. And the person that he is angry at is the father because of the extravagant way in which the father has welcomed home the younger son. The younger son doesn't deserve the welcome he has received, right? That's, that's clear for all of us. So that's one reason why he's angry. But the other reason why he's angry is because he's afraid that this is going to impact his own inheritance. Last week we saw that the father divides his life, that's the word that's used, or his, his estate, his inheritance, between the younger son and the elder son. And that means that that which the younger son has now received, so the, the robe and the ring and the sandals and the fattened calf, all of that belongs to the elder son. It's his, his inheritance. So it's not fair that the elder son, who's done nothing wrong, is now losing his inheritance to the younger son, who has messed up and decided to come back home. But there's actually even more going on with the elder son than just that. Look at how he addresses his father. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. If you remember, when the younger son speaks to the father, he says to him, father. He doesn't say, look. We also see that the elder son's experience of being home with the father all these years it has not been easy for him because he, he calls it slavery. He says, I've been slaving away for you. He's never disobeyed the father's order. So for him, it's all about obedience. That's what's important. It's clear that the elder son's resentment is very big. He's, there's, there's more going on than what, what we see are happening in the moment. Something's been building up for a while. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. It's clear that the elder son feels cheated, that somehow the father is being grossly unfair by being so gracious towards the younger son. He's so angry that he doesn't even acknowledge that his brother is his brother because he says, this son of yours. What does the father say to him? He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father is explaining to the elder brother that he has misunderstood his relationship with his own father all these years. He's saying, everything I have is yours. What do you mean, give you a goat? Everything I have is yours. We saw uh, just now, of course, that this is literally true. Everything the father has belongs to the son. But we also see that the elder son has been waiting, he's been working, he's been slaving away, he's had this sense that he's, he, he's got something to prove, he's got something to earn. But it was his all along. You see as well the sort of the picture that he has of his father. He thinks his father is a stingy man who, who doesn't even give him a small gift. He, he thinks his father is a hard slave master, someone who's hard to please, someone who doesn't see when someone's really working hard for him. But he's wrong. The father says, I already love you. It's, it's all yours already. You're already at home. But yet, of course, the, the, the elder son isn't. He isn't really at home. It's interesting that 
this is where the story ends with that, with that response of the father. Because what would make more sense is that we then hear what the, what the elder son does, right? Does he say, okay, I suppose, good point, I'll come back in. Or does he say, no, uh, you know, I still don't agree. We don't, we don't see what the response is of the elder son. And the story, of course, is open-ended on purpose. Uh, uh, to find out why, why this is, we need to go back to the beginning of uh, the chapter. We need to see who Jesus is telling this story to. Uh, and we see uh, that at the beginning of the chapter, tap- chapter, uh, it starts like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So who is Jesus telling the parable to? He's telling it to the Pharisees and the tax collectors who are complaining that Jesus is welcoming the sinners. This introduction is the key to unlocking uh, the characters in the parable. As you know, Jesus was always very attractive to sinners. There were, there were always tax collectors and, and, and other sinners around Jesus. Uh, as, as the Pharisees would say, there were always very, lots of bad people around Jesus, or lots of badly behaved people. And so they are, are muttering because they're saying it's wrong for Jesus to be so gracious and so welcoming uh, towards those sinners. Uh, They themselves, of course, are are not like that. Uh, They are good people. Uh, And so Jesus then tells them in response a story which which has a bad person in it, the younger son, and a good person in it, the elder son. And he shows them what their relationships with the father are like, with God. And now perhaps you can see why the parable is open-ended, because it's aimed at the Pharisees. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like the Elder son, who's grumbling at how the younger son is welcomed home. This man welcomes sinners. And in reply, Jesus shows that God extends the invitation to good people as well as bad people. That good people too are welcomed by God. Now you might say, you might think I just made a mistake saying good people are welcomed by God as well. But because obviously good people are welcomed by God. That's the whole point, right? If you're good, then God welcomes you. But actually, we see here that a story in which the bad person ends up close to the father and the good person ends up outside. So this should make us think. Last week we talked a bit about sin, that when we think of sin, we we tend to think of people who break the rules, people who are disobedient, people who rebel, people who run away. We tend to think of younger brother kind of types, people who are far from God. But as we said last week, the essence of sin, the essence of sin is not uh, about keeping or breaking rules. The essence of sin is that which comes between us and God that which separates us from God. And the irony of this parable, as I said, is that in the end, nothing separates the bad younger son from the father, but something separates the good older son from the father. And what makes it even stranger is that what separates the good elder son from his father is his own good behavior. This is very important. The elder son is angry at God because he has always kept the commandments. And the implication, of course, in that is that the elder son is saying, I've kept my part of the deal. Father, now you must keep your part of the deal. In other words, don't go giving my inheritance to other people who don't deserve it. I've worked hard. The inheritance 
is mine. I've earned it. This shows us that the two sons are actually less dissimilar than at first you might think that they are. Last week we saw that the younger son is not interested in a relationship with the father. He just wants his father's things. He just wants the inheritance. That's all he cares about. But this week we see that the elder son is the same. He's also not interested in the father, but, all, but in the father's things, in his, in his inheritance. He says that what he really wants is to go off with a young goat and, and celebrate with his friends. That's, that's really what he wants to do. Not so dissimilar to the younger son. So both sons go about trying to get the father's things, but they do it in different ways. The younger son does it by being very, very, very bad. That's how he takes it from the father. The elder son does it by being very, very, very good. You could say that the younger son is lost by leaving home, so like the lost sheep, the first parable that Jesus tells. You could say that the older son is lost at home, like the lost coin, which is the second of the lost parables that Jesus tells. But both sons are really trying to use the father in order to get what they really want, which is the father's stuff. What does this teach us about our own relationship with God? Well, firstly, we need to identify who we might be in the story. Uh, and I've already done that for you, because church people tend to be elder brother types. Uh, we tend to be people who try our best to do what God asks of us. We try to be in church, we pray, we read our Bibles, we give. We might not be perfect, but we would probably call ourselves good people, right? If that is you, then Jesus aims this parable at you. You're the audience. And with it comes this slight warning at the beginning that I said, that the bad person ends up with God and, and the good person ends up, at the very least, outside. How can you tell if you are an elder brother type? Well, look at the language of, of the elder son. Maybe the requirements of your faith feel to you like, like a burden. You feel like you're slaving away. Maybe you feel resentful towards God because you've wanted your life to go one way, but it's gone another. And inwardly you're thinking, God, it's not fair. I've done all the right things. I've prayed and my prayers weren't answered. God, you owe me. God, what is the point of all of this if my good behavior doesn't pay off? If uh, that is you, and I think it's probably most of us at some point uh, in our life, then it reveals that we're actually in that moment trying to use God to get what we really want, which is his possessions, the blessings that he can give us. And it shows us that we're not really interested in the relationship with God for its own sake. Do you see that what separates the brothers is not their motives, which is to control the father in order to get what they really want, but only how they go about it. One very good, one very bad. So ultimately, both very religious people and very irreligious people are at risk of trying to control God, trying to control their own lives. And that's a really a way of being your own savior, to say, actually, God, I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to uh, maneuver myself into a position that you have to do what I want. It explains as well why in the gospel so often the Pharisees are the ones who actually don't understand what Jesus is trying to say. What God wants for us is for us to give up our need for control, to trust him, to focus on our relationship with him. 
He wants us not to see him as a means to an end. And in the same way that you wouldn't want someone to uh, be with you because of your money or what you can do for them uh, or, or your possessions, in the same way God wants us to draw close to him simply for the joy of experiencing relationship with him, learning to love him, learning to enjoy him, independently of what he might do for us. The problem with, with us is that what we think will really make us happy is the Father's possessions, what God can do for us. But it isn't. It is knowing and experiencing the love of the Father. That's the only thing that truly satisfies. If Jesus had retold this story in a more uh, uh, sort of expected way, he might have told it with a different character as the elder son. What should have happened in this culture is that when the younger son left home, when he ran off, it would have actually been up to the elder son to go out and bring him back home, to go out and look for him at his own expense. We see something similar in the, uh, in the story of the brothers uh, Cain and Abel in the beginning of Genesis. At one point, God asks the elder brother Cain, where is your brother Abel? To which Cain responds, am I my brother's keeper? To which the answer, of course, is yes, you are, because this is your responsibility in the family, to bring home your brother. A proper elder brother would have thought, look at the pain that my brother's behavior has caused my father. Look at how my father misses him. I, I need to go out and I need to bring him home. This is, of course, uh, the criticism that Jesus has of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, oh, you bad younger sons. But meanwhile, they should be the ones who go out to bring the sinners home. The unfortunate thing for the younger brother in our parable that we just read is that he doesn't have a good elder brother, but he has a Pharisee for an elder brother. But the good news for us, of course, is that we do have a good elder brother. We have Jesus. That means that when, when we were out, when we were lost, when we were far away, when we didn't deserve it, Jesus left his father's home and he came uh, to look for us and to bring us home. And when he brought us home to the father, back into the celebration, uh, that didn't cost him a ring and a robe and some sandals, but it cost him his own life. And because he was willing to do that for us, it means that we can join in with the celebration. We get to share in the inheritance, even though we don't deserve it. We are welcomed home with rejoicing. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't have to repent. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that your love for us is like the love of a father for a child, that it is unconditional. We thank you, Lord, that when we rebelled, when we tried to take control, when we uh, used you for our own purposes, that you did not reject us, but that you gave your son to bring us home. And we thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you laid down your life for us. May it inspire us uh, to be loving towards those around us who may not deserve it, but who are your children um, even so. Would you fill us today again with the Father's love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.